0: Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com.
1: The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
0: Help. I need somebody, help, not just anybody, help. you know I need someone, help. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley.
2: Welcome to Episode 130 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host, since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is blind students' class action against a school for the blind and visually impaired. Now, the background to this is that the province of Ontario in Canada faces four class action lawsuits regarding care for people with special needs. Uh, the class action we're going to talk ab- about today concerns Brantford. Cranford, so that's a, a place, W. Ross McDonald School for the Blind, which is how it titles itself. Um, this particular class action is the most recent to get the, co- the go-ahead. Now, to discuss um, this, this uh, um, class action and all the things that go along with it, our guests are Jennifer, Jonathan Beeder and Bob Seed. Now, Jonathan is a lawyer in the class action group at a law firm called koski minsky in Toronto. He's appeared before all levels of court in Ontario, including the Court of Appeal for Ontario. He's acted in numerous class actions, including several proceedings where an institution or school has allegedly failed in its supervisory obligations to prevent abusive conduct towards residents or students. He's also published on the subject of class actions. Bob Seed, our other guest, is the lead plaintiff in a class action or the class action against the school, which he intended between 1954 and 1965. And this is the period, I think, if I've understood it right, which is the focus of the class action. Now, Bob's a professional broadcaster who is General Manager of Thunder Bay Information Radio in Thunder Bay, Ontario. His experience includes announcer, operator and music librarian, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, CBC Radio Thunder Bay, and announcer or host all-night radio programme CJLX Radio Thunder Bay. He's an amateur radio operator, and his call sign, VE3GIS, was issued in 1965. Bob's also got extensive experience with volunteer work, including assessment, field placement, and fundraising services. So, welcome to the show, Jonathan and Bob. Thanks for having us this afternoon. Good evening. Good evening. Very welcome. Now, first of all, starting with you, Jonathan... Please explain what a class action lawsuit seeks to achieve and also your own role in what I'll call the Brantford School class action.
3: Well, all class actions are essentially actions brought on behalf of a group. And the purpose of class actions is to create convenience when large groups of people may have similar claims and there are common issues among all those people in the group. And, and, and essentially, by allowing the claims to proceed in one proceeding, each of those individuals in the group don't have to prove every single part of their case because there's a lot of common uh, elements. As far as my role, uh, I, along with Kirk Barrett and Celeste Poltak, as you mentioned our, our lawyers acting for mr seed and also for the class as a whole which means that we have responsibilities not simply to mr seed uh, to follow his instructions but also to act in the interests of the entire class
2: right now bob please tell us about your time at the school and also i have a question specifically is it correct to say that all or perhaps most of the students had special needs arising out of vision or hearing challenges or possibly a combination of both. Bob?
4: Well, I attended the school, um, as mentioned in your introduction, from 1954 to uh, 1965. And um, during my time there, were certainly uh, in the early years of my education, in the junior school, as they referred to um, that school at the time. We had two schools, the junior school and the high school. Um, the junior school, I, I have to admit, it was uh, accommodating, nurturing, and uh, they met uh, all of our needs uh, in the junior school. Now, uh, the, um, the, the students, of course, uh, you know, were totally blind and, uh, and, um, and partially sighted. We didn't have uh, students with hearing impairments at that time. That would have been, in that time frame, we're looking at, uh, as I mentioned, uh, 1954, it's probably about the early 1970s, uh, to be exact.
2: Right. Now, I'm going back to Jonathan. In the class action, who are the people making the allegations? What are the allegations they're making? And taken together, what do the allegations actually amount to?
3: Well, the class action is brought on behalf of all persons who attended or resided at the school from 1951 forward, and all family members of people who attended the school from 1978 forward. And Mr. Seed is the plaintiff, and he advances the action on the group's behalf. And the allegations in the class action are essentially that there was a failure in the management and operation of the school, And that failure led to circumstances of abuse by staff and among students. Now, as you mentioned in in your introduction, the Ontario government was responsible for the management of the school. And the allegation is that the Ontario government failed in their responsibilities to the minors that attended the school.
2: Right. Now, let's go back to Bob. Please tell us describe your own experience as a student at the school what what did whether what were the things you experienced and how would you describe them to us bob
4: well initially as i mentioned uh, my early years uh although they were very caring and nurturing uh when i entered high school uh they took more or less a, a, a tough love approach uh, with uh, i guess you'd call it a, more like a i guess we we Often referred to it as a boot camp mentality. Uh, a lot of us were uh, physically uh, abused, uh, and of course, this had a traumatic uh, effect on uh, on most of the students of, uh, that I attended school with here uh, during that time period. And to this day, we are still suffering the after effects of uh, the traumatic experience that we had at um, W. Ross McDonald. Now, W. Ross McDonald. Uh, formerly it was the Ontario School for the Blind. We should set that record straight.
2: Right. Now let's conti- just want to continue with Bob. Uh, just to go a little bit further, could you just date the? Give us the date when you went to uh, from the junior school to the next grade up, so to speak.
4: Well, that would have been probably about nineteen fifty-five, fifty. Six in that in that time period yeah uh, the, the grade uh, um, grade one to about grade five we were in the junior school. it all depends it depended on the how mature the student was If they felt that the student was able to move on to uh, junior school or high school uh, or to the senior dormitory they they, uh, they made that judgment and moved the student on and for a lot of us, that was a traumatic experience I remember actually crying when I was moved from junior school to senior school because the the, the supports were not there. All of a sudden, I had the, uh, the you know, people were very concerned about being in the junior school, and they were, you had your comfort zone. And once you moved on, once I moved on to the immediate dorm and senior school, uh, things all changed. Uh, it was going like jumping from a fry pan to a fire.
2: Just to go back to Jonathan, then, is the class action essentially about uh, the people who carried on from the junior school? Or are there some um, questions about the kind of care and approach uh, in the early years, such as uh, Bob went through?
3: Well, I I think... We haven't parsed the class action by the different schools. It's all sort of one set of buildings. But I think more specifically, different students had different experiences. And so, you know, as Bob's recounting, his more difficult experiences occurred in the intermediate and senior uh, school and residence. But other students had a tough time, uh, even in the junior school, and and have recounted stories that uh, – what would, most would consider inappropriate conduct and so the class action absolutely focuses on the entire school now I suppose if down the road it was apparent there was only one particular problem that may be different but as far as we understand there was concerns in various areas and just just to make one point I guess uh, clear I guess the way that the class action is structured is focus is on the operation of And management of the school as opposed to specific incidents and specific teachers and so to that extent a lot of those issues would apply to both the junior school the intermediate school and senior school.
2: I'm going to be probably asking you this question again but in a different way Jonathan just who then is actually responsible in the school for the kind of things that you're concerned about—that is to say, the way things were organised, the way care was delivered, and that sort of thing—who who basically is responsible?
3: Well, that's, I think that that's going to be a major issue in the litigation. Obviously, the Crown—sorry, uh, excuse me—the Ontario government would would want to emphasise that individuals have more responsibility than they. They would, uh, but fundamentally the allegation is that the Crown that sets up the school, that establishes it, that is responsible for hiring staff, responsible for screening those staff, responsible for dealing with reporting of abuse, uh, addressing allegations of abuse, creating a proper culture to prevent abuse, all of those things have to come from the top and the Crown. The un- Government's agents may be the uh, superintendent of the school, uh, and, and and it would be essentially responsible for, for what occurred there.
2: Right. Okay. In other words, the buck uh, stops somewhere. Now, it, talking of that, we do have to take a short break. This is where we pay the rent. So, this is Dr. Gordon Ehrlich, and my guests are Jonathan Beter and. Bob Seed. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We will be back.
5: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're looking for answers and solutions, you don't have to look to expensive treatments, consultations, and methods. All you have to do is listen to your connections. Every week, the Dr. Melanie Show will teach you how to do just that. Dr. Melanie Barton will share her gifts and talents and teach you to do the same. And in doing so, find the solutions to the issues in your life that you truly need. You'll learn about holistic and practical health in six key areas. Discover the Dr. Melanie Show, Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling voiceamerica.com.
0: You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
2: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Jonathan Feeder and Bob C. Our topic is Blind Students' Class Action Against School for the Blind and Visually Impaired. Now, let's talk more about the class action, the experience of car- care at the school, and questions of responsibilities and attitudes. Now, first of all, a technical prob- question for you, Jonathan. Um, the class action is now certified by the court. What does this mean, and what were the arguments used for or against certification?
3: Certification is a precondition for every class action in Ontario. And the question for the court at certification is whether or not this action or any action is appropriate to proceed as a class action. It's a procedural inquiry. The court is trying to understand whether or not the particular facts of the case make it appropriate and whether or not there are enough common issues to make a class action the, the the preferable way of addressing the claims of the individual group members. Now, it is not a decision on the merits of the case. The court hasn't decided whether or not the plaintiff and the class members will succeed against the defendants. Uh, as I said, it's a procedural inquiry. Now, as far as our arguments at certification, uh, I would say that the main argument we advanced was that a class action was appropriate uh, in this case because it's likely the only practical means of redress for the individuals in the class. Litigation in Ontario is unfortunately expensive, and this type of litigation would involve uh, a lot of legal fees and expert expenses. And we also expect a lot of documents to be relevant in this case. And in that context, it makes the ability for any individual to pursue their claims against the Ontario government very difficult. And so a class action facilitates access to justice in that way.
2: Bob, to you, you described your own personal experience as a student of the school, and you also referred to what you saw as how you interpreted the experience of other students as well now I'd like you to say more about your impression of the experience of the other students uh, who were at the school at the same time as you as you were in other words what what were they going through was it different from what you were going through was it more or less the same thing were you all united how was it?
4: I think uh, in in our situation it was uh we had was a, we all had similar stories to tell and i got to give uh, credit to uh, social networking and the internet uh, have, you know if it hadn't been for the net for the uh, internet we would not be able to connect with one another and this all probably goes back to the late 90s early 2000s that we were able to uh, contact one another through the internet and through a number of websites and uh, social networking groups. We started talking uh, to one another. We heard about the Aboriginal stories that uh, the, the the abuse that took place um, on schools that were operated by the federal government. These are the schools on First Nations reserves, and uh, it was in the media for for, for years. And we started reading both the history behind the. First Nations people and, and the students and the, the plight that they went through, we said there were several, we went through a similar experience, so we started talking, this is how uh, things really got off the ground. And um, as I mentioned, there's a lot of similarities between my story and, and the others that are involved in the class action. I have a bit of social work background, and uh, uh, people sent me their stories, a lot of this information is strictly confidential. And to be honest with you, I was shocked and horrified. I mean when you're in the social work field, you have a tendency to develop a bit of a thick skin you're able to deal with these situations firsthand. but when I saw those stories and what these people went through um, i was I was saddened I, 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 I to be very honest with you, I was kind of in a bit of a depression mode, depressed because i I just couldn't believe what I was. Seeing and hearing, and uh, we're all coming to grips with this, uh, with what happened to us at the at the school. Many of the friends that I um, are in contact, I'm in contact with, uh, suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, and they live their W. Ross experience day in and day out. Many of these people have professional careers now that they're getting on an age and retired these horrible memories of the past are coming back to God.
2: I'm going to go to Jonathan again about the class action. What are the different stages of a class action and what actually will the court be asked to decide at an eventual trial and what could be the outcomes of the decision? Jonathan?
3: A class action proceeds in many ways similar to an ordinary action, except there are several extra steps, I guess you would say. Now, the first step we already talked about, uh, and that's certification. But after certification, the action will proceed towards what's called the common issues trial, and it will proceed in the same way that a lot of individual actions proceed. There'll be an exchange of documents, examinations of the parties, and you know, pre-trial, that sort of, uh, those sort of steps. But the common issues trial is unique in that it is a trial where the only questions posed are the questions that are common to everybody in the class. And those common issues were set at certification. And in this case, the common issues focus on the standard that was expected of the Ontario government in its operation and management of school? Did they breach a duty of care to the uh, students? Did they, did they breach uh, any fiduciary obligations that they might have owed to the students? Those are the questions they would get answered at the Common Issues Trial. And after the Common Issues Trial, uh, if the claim can't be dealt with as a, in sort of an aggregate there may be individual inquiries and individual circumstances that need to be addressed through separate hearings or whatever mechanism the court determines is appropriate for dealing with individual circumstances. Okay.
2: Now, Bob, please give us your impression of the attitudes of the staff and administrators with you, with whom you came into contact at the school. How did they, how did they, what were their attitudes? How did they deal with you?
4: Uh, well, from far as what I can determine, the administrative staff, um, they certainly were open to hear what we are concerned, but I think they, they failed uh, when it comes to follow-up. They didn't... Uh, we complained about a staff member. Uh, the, these are the people that are sort of the frontline workers. Um, they did absolutely nothing to rectify the problem. Um, I mean, it could have been physical abuse, it could have been sexual abuse, whatever. I mean, uh, these concerns were not addressed. And uh, in fact, uh, from what I've been able to gather, I think they, they, they failed in even reporting these incidents to the ministry.
2: Which ministry?
4: Well, it would probably be the Ministry of Education that would have been responsible for the uh, for the uh, school at the time. Well, they still are. Right. It is an educational facility.
2: So, just to clarify something, maybe with Jonathan, that means that falls within the broad heading of the province of Ontario, does it? The, what, the, the ministry? The, the, yes. Yes. Okay. Now, there's, I want to just go back to the history Bob, that you were talking about, and the use of social media—that is, to get a group of people who've been through a shared experience, a common experience, an unpleasant experience—are now, for the first time, sharing what they went through with others who they've got good reason to believe uh, have probably gone through the the same thing. Now, first of all, have I got that right? And secondly, Bob. Does that mean that if it had not been from the social media this this class action might not have taken place?
4: It is quite possible because without the social media we we were uh, we were isolated. we had no way of contacting one another because we as you probably know, uh, students that attended the w. Ross McDonald school came from virtually uh, most all uh, the western provinces. Uh, Manitoba Saskatchewan Alberta and Ontario and we even had a couple of students from Quebec so they're from all over all over the country and there was that isolation factor I mean we there's absolutely no way that we can contact one another and through the internet and through the social networking um, we have what they call a you know visually impaired list or a blind list whatever you want to call it we're able to network and uh, it was through this probably a national hookup that we were able to make contact once again, after 40 years, and share our experiences.
2: Jonathan, quick question for you. Um, That information that travelled by social networking, is that the kind of, would that be accepted in the court as evidence?
3: Well, I think I think that the evidence that would be accepted if we were if we were talking about what evidence we would present to establish that abuse occurred, I, I think what would happen is individual students would need to, you know, attend and testify. I mean, people could only really testify to their own experiences and to what they saw. Uh, they it wouldn't really be appropriate for a um, a witness to say, well. You know, I read on a, on a social networking site the following. I, I I think that we would be held to a higher standard of proof in terms of what happened.
2: So it's actually got to be individual experience spoken about by the individual who's experienced it, so to say.
3: That- right, but as I said before, the, the focus of the Common Issues trial is on how the Crown, what the Crown did or didn't do in its operation and management of the school. Students would participate in the trial to the extent of providing context really for that question and explain what did or didn't happen and how the Crown dealt with the operation and management of the school.
2: Got it. Okay. Now, we do have to take the break again. Um, This is Dr. Gordon-Etherley, and my guests are Jonathan Beter and Bob You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned, we're coming back. Stimulating
5: talk. Gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com And Wellness Network. Tune into a program that's all about empowerment and human potential. It's all about navigating your life. In fact, that is the name of the program. Tune in every Monday morning for the Navigating Your Life Show with host Dr. Nathaniel J. Williams. Each week we'll discuss a range of topics to help you with the challenges facing us every day. The information given can be implemented immediately and may change your life forever. The Navigating Your Life Show is broadcast live Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
0: tune in to the Terrence Rogers Show every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Kids channel. You'll laugh, cry, and most importantly, this show will reach out and touch your life. Talk,
5: talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, Please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
2: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Jonathan Bieder and Bob Seed. Our topic is blind students, class action against school for the blind and visually impaired. So, let's talk more about responsibilities and standards. Jonathan. In connection with any score for persons with special needs, is it appropriate to talk about standards of care, you know, such as would be relied on in a healthcare facility like a hospital? And if so, who would be responsible for ensuring that appropriate standards are adopted? And if standards of care isn't an appropriate idea, how would the expectations for care be described for such a score? Jonathan?
3: Well, in Ontario, we absolutely would talk about the standard of care expected of, in this case, the Ontario government and how they operate and manage the school. And that would break down into much smaller questions as to what those standards are. And so in our statement of claim, which is the, the main document that sets out the allegations we're making against the government, it... it raises questions about whether or not the government properly and effectively supervised the environment at the school and the conduct of its employees. What steps did they take to ensure the safety, well-being, and protection of those students? What did they do in hiring their staff and implementing standards of conduct for their employees? How did they deal with uh, allegations of abuse? Was there a system through which abuse would be recognized and reported? how would they pursue and investigate complaints all of these type of questions would be part of the greater question of whether or not the crown had the, the ontario government had done what it was expected to do whether it met the standard uh, that it was to be held to
2: just a very quick additional question to that then the question of training of staff Uh, who delivered the care and the tuition, that would also be a factor you'd take into account, would it? Uh,
3: Absolutely. Uh, The the Ontario government was responsible for the the hiring of the staff that were taking care of minor children with disabilities. The qualifications of those employees were very important. Uh, For example, the statement of claim sets out... the main one of the allegations is that the crown failed to do background checks, criminal background checks, on some of the staff. Well, if if in fact it turned out that one of those staff members had a criminal background that created a problem with working with children, that would have been, in our, uh, we would say, a failing by the Ontario government in how it reviewed the qualifications and background of the staff they were hiring.
2: Right. Okay. Now, Bob, um, at the school, in connection with care for the students, what was the role of parents or other family caregivers? Um, And what, in regard to that role, what were the outcomes? In other words, how did things things play out uh, with the children, with the family caregivers in the school, what, what what what's your impression of that? Paul? Well, um,
4: most of us attended the school uh, ten months of the year, from September to uh, June, and uh, the parental care wasn't there. I mean, our, our we were you know, in many cases thousands of miles away uh, from our our home community, and uh, the the our parents had very little input when it comes to our um, our upbringing and and development of the school and the you know um, they weren't able to provide the uh, the ongoing supports that we needed because uh, of the distance so that was left up to uh, the staff the dormitory staff who were to be our guardians and they failed at least we feel that they failed and meeting the basic needs, our basic
2: needs. That comes back to a question which I won't ask you, but it's one that I'd like us to keep in the back of our minds, and that is, could things have been different if in any way the parents could have been more involved? Now, as I say, we won't go into that question at this particular moment, but it's certainly one that strikes me. Now, let's go back to Jonathan, please, and ask you, from a legal perspective, in connection with complying with standards of care at a school like Brantford, what roles and responsibilities are assigned to teaching staff and administrators, and who assigns them?
3: Well, that question is, is really going to be central to the litigation because it's a question that I imagine there will be many differences between us and the Ontario government, who is the defendant. I would imagine their view would be that their roles and responsibilities are limited to hiring the appropriate staff and then really major responsibilities downloaded onto those people we would say that in choosing to uh, establish a, a school for minor children and, and this is i think what's important is the context here this was a residential school which means that the students or the vast majority of students were living at the school like like bob you know with their parents sometimes thousands of kilometers away and so We would say that the Ontario government, in establishing this school and being responsible for its funding and its management and its operations, uh, can't simply download a lot of its responsibilities onto staff that may not be fully qualified.
2: Right. Now, Bob, here's a question for you. Let's suppose that somebody in government after this Class Action, turns to you and says and asks you, how would you define the standards of care that you think should now prevail at a school like Brantford and others, dealing or helping or taking care of um, students such as you were? Mom?
4: Well, I think uh, it, when it comes to any kind of institution, whether it be a school or a, a home for seniors, a mental institution, a hospital. Uh, in today's world, there are specific set standards um, that are really they're really um, set in stone. Uh, these standards uh, really have to be met. Uh, certainly, from a, the social work that I've uh, involved in and, and the training that I've that I have, um, I certainly would would, would you. Uh, look at the W. ross McDonald school, I wouldn't accept anything less than a student with a social service worker degree. Uh, These are the standards that are are, that these institutions have to meet today. And uh, if the government is not adhering to these standards, then uh, there is definitely a problem. And, you know, as I mentioned, I would expect nothing short uh, of a social work uh, diploma.
2: So, can I put it to you this way? Um, if I understand you right, you're saying that the standards exist, but they need—we need all to be assured that they're going to be applied and enforced. Is that right, or how do take it? I mean,
4: there should be there should be guidelines uh, that uh, these institutions have to follow, and there should be a. Uh, uh, um, uh, a check every so often on, on, on whether, these, whether the staff are meeting the standards. Uh, in other words, uh, we should have a, sort of a, a kind of a bark card. Right. Uh, as, uh, I guess an employee evaluation uh, form would have to be filled every periodically. That would be a good idea. And I should uh, like to touch on another um, question that you asked about the uh, the students. Uh, now, um, students go home every week. So there is actually that contact with uh, with their family. We didn't have that back uh, 20 to 30 years ago. Yeah.
2: In other words, what we're saying is there's a future which is very different from the past. And um, uh, one would hope then that whatever the outcome of the class action, the idea of the future is going to embed itself. Now... Um, we once more um, do have to take the break so we'll do it now this is Dr. Gordon Natalie, and my guests are Jonathan Beter and Bob Seed you're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America channel stay tuned, we're coming back
5: the internet's number one talk station number one talk station VoiceAmerica.com There's a course offered on Seventh Wave Network that you never saw offered in college. One that provides information on how to transform ancient wisdom teachings into everyday life. You'll learn how to create from your spirit and explore the world with all of your senses. Participation is encouraged. Enroll in Spirituality 101, the course you can't afford to miss, with your host, Reverend Norma. Classes in session every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, in your favorite classroom, 7th Wave Network. It's sex education like you've never heard before. Want to improve your love life? You know, that love life. Join sexual wellness expert and certified erotic educator Jaya for Sex with Jaya. She'll bring you cutting-edge techniques to expand your erotic repertoire. Jaya will offer advice and speak with guests who will shed light on everything to do with sex. You can even listen together with that special someone. Sex with Jaya is broadcast live every Friday afternoon at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
2: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, um, Jonathan Beter and Bob Seed. Um, now, I want to talk about with the two guests um, something that's happened of great importance in Canada, and that is the Mental Health Commission of Canada, which has been in business now for about five years. It recently produced a report which urged governments to address what I what it calls continuing attitude problems such as stigmatization of persons with mental illnesses and developmental disabilities. Now I'm not trying to equate vision or uh, vision problems with mental illness or necessarily developmental disabilities but I am wanting to focus on the question of stigmatization. So uh, my question to you Bob first of all how could the Brantford School Class Action help improve any remaining stigmatization of persons with vision and hearing challenges. Bob?
4: I think we're already starting to see this happen. Um, since the, the story appeared in various forms through the media, whether it be the print media, through electronic media, the feedback that, and the Internet, the feedback that we are receiving is uh, overwhelming. I, the public, believe it or not, they're very understanding and are empathetic to our to our cause. Um, I think 30 years ago, the attitude of the public would have been different. Well, a disabled person, well, they, they you know they don't contribute to society, so you know let's ignore them. That's not the case today. Uh, the you know the public is uh, are well educated. Um, they know the story about disabled people, and there are more agencies more service groups that are looking out for our needs, willing to bend over backwards to accommodate our needs, whether it be building accessibility, whether it be access to the Internet, um, the availability availability of um, um, support throughout the community, a number of uh, issues that have been through the power of um, social networking, Various disability groups, we're, we've been able to to make waves, uh, both on the um, uh, local level, provincial level, and nationally. I right. think we made a we made a lot of headway over the past uh, twenty to thirty years, and we're continuing to to, uh, to rattle cages.
2: <laughs> Very good, Jonathan. What's the message that former and current students should take from the class action and what can they do to get involved in the class action if they want to?
3: Jonathan? I think as far as the message, I think that I think what's going to be really helpful about the class action is it's going to let a lot of former students know that their experiences weren't unique that other people had the same sort of challenges and felt the same way that they might have. And I think it'll also tell people really that if there were things that they thought were inappropriate but nobody did anything about them, that that was wrong. And maybe they didn't previously realize that or maybe they had decided to just forget it, but I think that for a lot of former students that will be a big advantage, knowing they're part of a group and and knowing that the experiences that they were concerned about we're, in fact, over a line. As far as getting involved, uh, we strongly encourage any of the class members, any of the people that fall within that class definition I mentioned earlier, former and current students, to contact us, to, to tell us their stories. And if, if you don't mind, I'll just give a quick pitch. Our, our, our website for the class action is www.kmlaw.ca forward slash w ross mcdonald class action and and i encourage any of the former students to go there and to contact us contact information is on the website
2: right back to you bob what's the message that persons with special needs now i'm talking about the broader community of people with special needs whatever they are Uh, and so what's the message that such persons should take from the brantford school class action Bob?
4: Well, from this class action and uh, what has come forward so far, uh, at the end of the day, I think uh, former students and future students of that particular institution can take some gratification knowing that uh, things are going to be dealt with a little little differently and that uh, I'm sure that there'll be Various issues that will come up that will be addressed uh, through, uh, through the, that particular institution. And uh, there will be no need to sort of harbor your, your experience. In other words, you, you come forward with your story, and hopefully this will never happen again. Um, and that uh, they're able to uh, address any kind of issue right at, right at a source immediately without having to go through various channels.
2: Bob, still with you, so it's a matter of closing that particular unpleasant history and moving forward with hope um, with with a sense that things are better and are going to be kept better in regard to the care and the respect that um, children in schools of the kind that you were and attended um, will. Receive the care that, th- in this day, we regard as appropriate. So I'm kind of paraphrasing something back to you. Do you agree with me?
4: I agree. I, I mean, I think the what we can hope for is that the future students of any any institution uh, are are taken care of in the proper manner, and that their their basic needs of uh, food, shelter, and and heat and warmth, whatever it is, and the social work field, that's what we refer to. Right. That their basic needs are met. But, of course, they have to go beyond that. I mean, uh, people with disabilities are vulnerable. And uh, what happened in the past should not have happened. Isn't it, it wasn't acceptable then for most people, and it wouldn't be acceptable now.
2: Got it. Now, Jonathan, back to you. What's the message that family caregivers should take from this class action? What do you think? I
3: think that the class action would give perspective on the importance of proper care and the impact of choices uh, that caregivers make for minor children, particularly minor children that have any sort of uh, physical disability. And I think it also will underscore the importance of attitudes. And I'm going to give an example of how it might be, how it's important uh, to appreciate the impact. Uh, for One of the students we've spoken to talks about how there was a failure to supervise the students at the W. Ross McDonald School, at the time, the Ontario School for the Blind. And as a result, he got into a serious injury that's continuing to affect him today. And so, I think that you know, through a lot of examples and seeing how a failure to do to have the proper care in place can impact minor children you know, from their childhood throughout their life
2: right i 'm going to prompt you with a question that I obviously uh, feel quite strongly about, and that is. Would it be fair to say that family caregivers should have a better voice about the care for their children in circumstances where the family caregivers either can't be there all the time or it's a residential school or other circumstances uh, that were so unhappy in the past? In other words, should family caregivers be rather more active now than they were in the past by speaking out? Is that a fair a fair comment to make, Jonathan.
3: Yes, I I, I think that I'm not I'm not sure I quite understand the question, but I guess I'll say that I I believe that it would be tremendously valuable for caregivers to be involved. It would have that more. I mean, they know their their children better than or their sisters or whoever. The caregiver might be looking after better than the people at the particular facility or school and in that context they can work with the people at the facility or school to make sure that the person's needs are addressed properly and appropriately. Right
2: I'm unfortunately at the end now where we're going to have to close in a moment but I'd just like to say to you both I guess that's a matter of listening to parents, involving parents and um, making them feel that what they know, Jonathan, that you've said and Bob, that you've said, is actually important to the facility and that it's not just a matter of the facility making all the decisions according to its own things. But also what you're saying is that the future is looking better and I'd like to say i I hope that this class action gives the future, so to speak, a push so that it continues on the road that Bob of improvement that Bob's been talking about. So I want to say in closing, thank you to our listeners. I want to say thank you particularly to Jonathan and Bob, because what you've talked about is interesting. It's important. It's complicated. But it's a change. And the very way that you are working together, all of you, to represent a community uh, that in the end is going to change the future or continue to change the future of the way things uh, are done is profoundly important. So thank you both. All success to you in the case and in your continuing work. Now in our next episode, we'll talk about ADHD, autism and obesity Please join us, same time, same spot, on the internet.
0: Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our
1: program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being mine.